right there, and if you'll apply that. Um, this morning's message is entitled, Pour on the Salt and Turn on the Light. Now, I'm sure that you probably know what that's all about, but uh, hopefully we'll give you some, some fresh views on that and some fresh ways that you can apply this to your life. There are two things that we value greatly but seem so insignificant. There are two things that we actually need in order to survive, but every day we take them for granted. The, we either complain because we've got too much of one of these, or we complain because we want more of one of these. One of them is hardly seen. You can have, if you have too little of it, it will make a drastic difference. If you have too much of it, it can ruin your food. The other one is very visible. If you don't have it in the dark, you can hurt yourself. But if it's too early in the morning, like me, you want to turn it off. Amen? What is it? Salt and light. That's exactly right. One works when it comes into contact with food. The other one works when it's empowered by another source. Jesus said, you are to be the salt and you are to be the light. Let's read what he had to say in Matthew chapter 5. In verse 13, the Lord Jesus, uh, after beginning the Sermon on the Mount, says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand that it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, it is our desire to be salt of the earth and light to the world so that men and women and children will see our good works and they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. Thank you, Lord, for blessing us today with your presence. Thank you for blessing us with your word. Now, Lord, lead us to apply it in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As Jesus began his Sermon on the Mount, he did it by describing several beatitudes or traits that he was looking for in his followers. Jesus said that his followers would be blessed when they realize that they can't make it without God. That they would be blessed when their own sin breaks their heart because they know it breaks God's heart. Jesus said that his disciples would be blessed when they completely surrender their lives to him. That they would be blessed when they hunger more for God. That they would be blessed when they extend forgiveness to others because forgiveness has been extended to them. Jesus said that his followers would be blessed when they yearn to be straight with God. When they yearn to be honest with God. That his followers would be blessed when they desire to be a thermostat person. 
Do you know what a thermostat person is? A thermostat person changes the climate around him rather than being a thermometer person which responds to the climate around them. Jesus said his followers will be blessed when they become a thermostat person. But also his followers will be blessed when they want to come so close to God that people just don't know what to do with them. Eight traits that Jesus was looking for in his followers. Each one of those beatitudes is an invitation for you and I to see if we are what we say we are. Did you get that? Did you get that saying amen? Each one of those is an invitation for us to look to ourselves, examine ourselves, to see if we are what we say we are. Each one of them points out if we're really committed or if we just know the truth in our mind. Hopefully, today's study is going to show you the answer to that question for you. You see, there were many in the day that Jesus delivered this sermon, there were many in that day that knew Jesus was the Messiah. They knew it. They knew that he was the Messiah, the one sent by God. But they had never, many had never committed their lives to him. I think that the same may be true today. Many in here may know that Jesus is the Son of God. Many in here may know that he is the Messiah sent by God. Many may know that he's the Savior. But have you ever committed your life to him? Have you ever committed your entire life to Jesus? I read a quote that said, Disciples should affect the world in a positive way by the way we live. Disciples should affect the world in a positive way by the way we live. That's the Lord's focus here today. That's the Lord's focus. And therefore, we need to understand what Jesus meant. We need to understand how Christians are to be like salt. And we need to understand how Christians are supposed to be like light. First of all, we need to know that as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus, we are called to be an influence. Verse 13 again. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Christians are called to be an influence in the world that we live in. He said, you are salt of the earth. Now, I think that this is probably a place where we can miss the translation a little bit. The King James Version says it this way. Ye, say ye. How many of you use the word ye? Amen. That's what the King James Version says. Ye are the salt of the earth. Now, you need to know that that word ye is actually a good southern word. Amen? Maybe we should use it a little more. Because that word ye translates y'all. Amen? It translates y'all. And, of course, y'all is just an abbreviation for you all. Ye. Ye. 
are the salt of the earth. But what did Jesus mean by telling us that? Here he is looking out over a, a ragtag group of basically uneducated disciples, and he refers to them as salt of the earth. I want to tell you this morning that that was a great compliment. A great compliment that these uneducated disciples and followers were called the salt of the earth. Why such a great compliment? Because in that day, especially, salt was a necessity for life. And in that day, salt was very valuable. In fact, that word salary, the word salary comes from the Latin word salarium, which refers to payments made to Roman soldiers in salt. They actually paid Roman soldiers with salt. And it's here that we get that old saying about someone being worth their salt. Anybody ever heard that? Let me ask you this morning. Are you worth your salt? As you examine your own life, as a follower of Jesus, are you worth your salt? According to the Salt Institute, there are over 14,000 uses for salt. So I'm going to describe each one of those basically for you in just a few minutes, okay? I'm just kidding. But I do want to look at two of them this morning. Two basic uses for salt. The first is salt is a preservative. The second one is salt is a seasoning. You see, back before refrigeration was available, salt was absolutely essential because it was the only way that you could preserve meat. People would actually rub the salt into the meat, and that would hinder the process of decay. In the same way, friends, Christians are called to hinder the moral decay of the world we live in. We are called to be a preservative. And so far in the history of Christianity, Christianity has had a profound positive effect on the world which we live in. But, there's a horrifying new trend today. Statistics show that the average Christian and the average church is almost indistinguishable from the rest of society. The moral and ethical difference that Christ should make in our lives is for some reason missing. Christ is not having the effect in those lives that he's supposed to make. Think about it. When teens claim uh, to be saved and then they do drugs and drink alcohol as the, at the same rate as the general teenage population, when average Christian young people live together without the benefit of marriage, when Christian marriages end in divorce at the same rate as the rest of society, when Christians cheat in business, lie, steal, gossip, cheat on their spouses at the same statistical level as the rest of the world, friends, something is horribly wrong. Something is horribly wrong. Friends, if we as Christians lose those qualities of Christ's likeness that make us distinct from the society around us, then we will no longer have a positive impact. Instead, we become a hindrance. 
instead of preserving our Christian heritage, we become a hindrance to it. But Jesus also says this. He said, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it, that is the earth, be seasoned? Say seasoned. How will the earth be seasoned? You see, salt changes things. Salt changes things. If you put just a, a little pinch of salt into a pot of pinto beans, man, that's good. Likewise, it only takes just a little salt. A little salt to flavor a whole community. It only takes a little salt to flavor a whole neighborhood. It only takes a little salt to change a whole workplace. It only takes a little salt to change a family. It only takes a little salt to change a whole nation. We're called to be salt. But, someone once said, that if salt never leaves the salt shaker, it's of no value to anyone. All it is is a table decoration. Are you getting out of your shaker, amen? Or are you just a table decoration? I think that we totally miss our calling to be salt when we don't mingle with lost people. I think that we totally miss our calling to be salt when we fail to season people's lives with the good news that Jesus died for sin and enables people to have eternal life with God. We miss our calling when we don't do those things. If you and I, as salt, don't rub shoulders against those who have no flavor, so to speak, if we don't rub shoulders with those who are perishing in their sins, then I wonder who will. I know who will. The devil will. So if you don't, the devil will take your place. Jesus was clear. He was crystal clear when he said, you are, say are. Say I am. The salt of the earth. That's right. He said you are. He didn't say you might be. He didn't say you ought to be. He didn't say I hope you'll be. He said you are the salt of the earth. The great preacher G. Morgan Campbell said, that while Jesus was looking out over the multitudes in his day, he saw the corruption, he saw the disintegration of society at every point, he saw its breakdown, the spoiled condition of the culture, and because of his love, he knew there was one thing that they needed the most, and that was salt. To preserve and to season. And friends, to be salt... You don't have to be Billy Graham. To be salt, you're not called to be spectacular. To be salt, you're not called to be sensational. To be salt, you're not called to be a success by the world's standards. To be salt, we're just called to be an influence. A positive influence in our little corner of the world. You as an individual 
And we as a church, that's all he calls us to do, is to be a positive influence in our little corner of the world. But not only an influence, the Lord Jesus said that we're also called to have a testimony. Verse 14. You are the light. Say, I am the light of the world. A city that's set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all. Say, all. Gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and that they may glorify your Father in heaven. We're called to have a testimony. You see, it's been reported that 25% of American population claims to be born again. That's a lot of people. About 300 million people in America, give or take. That means about 75 million born-again Christians. But can I tell you, that can't be true. It can't be true. Because that would mean that there were 75 million active, tithing, serving Christians in America's churches, and that ain't happening. So many people are led to believe that their faith is only a personal thing. Hey, it's only between me and God. Faith is a personal issue. But I want to tell you, Jesus says, you're not to keep it to yourself. You're to be the light of the world. And let your light so shine before men. Friends, we have a, a threefold call or a, a threefold responsibility to be the light. The first thing is, is we are called to receive the light. The Apostle John made a habit of describing Jesus as the light. And John said that it's not enough to be exposed to the light. You've got to respond to the light. You can't just be exposed to the light. You've got to do something about it. You've got to respond to Jesus. In John chapter 3, let me just share this with you real quickly. In John chapter 3 and verse 19, John or Jesus said, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light. Did you get that? When Jesus came, men loved darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. You see, we have a choice. That's right. We have a choice. We can either come to the light or we can reject the light. Every human being has that choice to come to the light and respond or to reject the light. And both of those decisions have eternal repercussions. If you come to the light, Jesus promises you eternal life. If you reject the light, you're also promised eternal life. Amen? If you reject the light, you're promised eternal life in separation from God in a place called hell. We have a choice. But John chapter 1 verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. I love that verse. To as many as received him, he gave them the right to become children of God, those who believe in his name. Those who believe. 
But once we have received the light, then we're also called to walk in the light. Paul reminds believers in Ephesians chapter 5, he says, For you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Therefore, walk, say walk, walk as children of the light. See, after we receive the light, then we're called to walk in the light. We're called to walk according to the way he would have us to walk. I read where one man had the job of on the railroad tracks of warning upcoming trains with his light that the bridge was out. One night, the train came, and the man was waving his lamp, but the train kept going, kept going, and went right off into the river. In an effort to find out what really happened, find out why that train didn't stop, that man ended up in court. And the judge asked him, were you on duty that night that that train crashed? And that man said, yes, sir. And the judge asked him, did you have your lamp with you? And he said, yes, sir. And the judge asked him, did you wave your lamp before the train? And he said, yes, sir. And as a result of those answers, the man was not held responsible for the accident. But later on the way home, he confided in a friend. And he said, I'm sure glad that judge didn't ask me if my lamp was on. Had the lamp. A lamp unto my feet, amen. He had the lamp. And he was waving the lamp. But the lamp wasn't on. The lamp wasn't being applied to life. Same thing can happen to a Christian. Can I ask you this morning, is your lamp on? Are you influencing people in your little corner of the world? Is your lamp on or are you just carrying it around? We were once darkness, but now you are light to the world. How are we to live then? We are to live as children of the light, of the light in obedience to the word. John went on to say in 1 John chapter 1 that this is the message which we have heard from him and now declare to you that God is light. Say that with me. God is light. Amen. And in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, say we lie. If you say that you got fellowship with Jesus, but you're walking in the darkness, the Bible says you're lying. And you're not practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. You better be walking according to the light. Because we're called to not only receive the light, but we're also called to walk in the light. But thirdly, we're also called to reflect the light. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 2 to do all things. Say how many things? All things without complaining and without disputing. Wow. Do all things without complaining and without disputing. I can't speak for you, but I can speak for Brother Bill. I did a whole lot of complaining, and I would have done a whole lot of disputing if anybody was with me. Just last week, just yesterday, the 
But Jesus says, the word of God says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of this crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. Shine as lights. Say that with me. In the world. The Bible says it all over the place. That we are to shine as lights. And that light is to reflect the fact that we're children of God. And it's to draw people to Jesus, not reject them and cause them to run away from him. Shine as lights in the world. You see, just as the moon reflects the light of the sun in the sky, you and I as Christians are called to reflect the light of the Son of God. Reflecting the sun. Jesus is the light, we are his followers, and we're called to reflect him in everything we do, without complaining and without disputing. But why? Why does Jesus call me to have a testimony? Why can't I just enjoy my fellowship with him? Why do I have to have a testimony? Well, he said it there in verse 16. He said, let your light so shine before men that. That tells you the answer to why, okay? That they, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Two reasons. But first of all, apparently, you and I have a choice here. Apparently, we get to choose whether or not our light will shine. Because it said, let. Now, that word let means allow. Permit. See, oftentimes as Christians, the Spirit of God is in us, but we don't permit God to shine. We don't allow God to shine. But Jesus said it here with his own mouth in red letters in verse 16. He said, let your light so shine. He's telling you, permit your light to so shine. Allow your light to so shine. But you know what? You can choose not to. You can choose not to let your light shine. You can choose not to reflect Jesus in the way you walk. But I can tell you this. You can't live a light-filled, effective Christian life without standing out. You can't live a light-filled, effective Christian life without people noticing that Jesus is being reflected through you. Do they? Do people notice Jesus in the way you speak? Do they notice Jesus in your attitudes? Do they notice Jesus in the way you behave? People may not like us. People may even reject us. But you know what? They're going to know we're there. So friend, I can tell you, if your faith doesn't make a difference in the way you live your life, one or two things need to happen. If you're listening, say amen. If you're listening, say Amen. If your faith is not making a difference in the way you live your life, one of two things needs to happen. You need to get saved or you need to repent and let the light of Jesus shine through your life. One of those two things needs to happen. Now notice there in verse 16 that Jesus said that two things would happen when we allow our light to shine, when we permit our light to shine. 
The first thing is, he said, men are going to see your good works. Men will see it. Now, that word good there means attractive. It means beautiful. It means lovely. So how in the world are we to draw people to Christ in such a dangerous and dark-filled day? Well, we do it the same way that the early church did it. The secret was found in the power. Say power. Power. The secret was found in the power of a life well lived. In the power of a life lived for Jesus. That's how you draw people to Christ. That's how you make a difference. By living your life well. People need to see a salt witness. They need to be influenced. People need to see and have a light witness. They need to be exposed to your power source and thereby be changed. They need to see how your relationship with Jesus Christ has seasoned your own life. Otherwise, they may not want any part of it. My, my. I wonder, do people look at you? Do they look at your life and wonder why does she act like that? Why does he act like that? Now they could be asking that question for one of two reasons. Either you profess that you're a Christian and you're acting the fool. Amen. Anybody here ever acted the fool or just me? <laughs> Proclaiming I'm a Christian but acting the fool. Or they can say, that woman is on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that drives her to be that way? i got to get me some of that. What is it? Did they ask that about you? Why is she that way? Why is he that way? Why does she act like that? Why does he act like that? Do people ask that of you? Now there's a second thing that happens when we allow our light to shine. And that is that those same men who saw your good works, they will give God the glory. Did you notice there in verse 16 that, that one word shows itself three times? Notice it. Your light, your good works, and your Father in heaven. Your appears three times. You see, when you let your light shine before men. They'll glorify your Father in heaven. Therefore, what begins on earth through you ends up in heaven. Your light, your good works, makes them see your Father in heaven. Incredible. That's how much power your testimony has. That's how much power your testimony has. We can actually lead men, women, and children to God by your testimony. We can lead them out of the darkness and into the light. Now, Jesus didn't say that we're to live our lives so that people will see our good works and say, Ooh, man, that's a marvelous girl. Ooh, my, my. That's an outstanding man. No. It caused you to, that men would see your good works 
and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, a lamp never calls attention to itself. Rather, the lamp is set up on the lampstand and it illuminates its surroundings. It's not about you. It's about God. It's not about you. It's about others coming to God. Using your light. But in order to reflect that light that you have in you, you've got to position your mirror. Amen? You've got to position the mirror of your life and position it where it properly reflects the light. And the only way you can do that is if you spend time staying in God's Word and then applying it to your everyday life. That's how you position your mirror to properly reflect the light of Jesus Christ. Stay in the mirror and let it be applied in your life. Let it reflect the light of Jesus. And when we do that, when we position ourselves to Christ, that light will shine automatically and people will see the glory of God. They will see God in you. Imagine that. That God would use a wretched sinner like me to show people God. That's crazy to me. But it's the word. That God would use a poor, wretched sinner like me to show people God. Can I tell you, friends, that the time has come. The time has come to be the salt of the earth. The time has come to, for us to be the light of the world. Friends, the time has come for us to shine forth the glory of God. I pray that during this prayer that I'm about to pray, that if that's something you've not been doing too well, there's one of two things that need to happen. You either need to get saved, or you need to repent and allow the light of Jesus to shine through you. It's your choice. What will you do? Will you be the salt of the earth? Will you be an influence? Will you be the light of the world? And have a testimony. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to say thank you for your precious, precious word. Lord, thank you that you have given us a purpose in this life. That Lord, we not only just get, we don't just get saved and then do nothing, but Lord, that we are saved to serve. And Lord, I'm so grateful that, that you have called us to be the salt of the whole earth. You've called us to be a light to the whole world. And Lord, that only happens as we surrender our lives to you. Lord, I pray that if this message, if, if your word has fallen on a receptive heart, that Lord, it would cause someone to recommit their life, to rededicate their life, to being all that they can be in your hands. Father, if there's one here that's never been saved, they don't know, have a clue what I'm talking about. They don't know what it means to be salt. They don't know what it means to be light because they've never allowed the light of Jesus to shine in them. Lord, I pray that you would whisper in their ear and give them the courage to take that first step of faith and allow me to show them what the Word of God says about how they can be saved and be assured of their place with you. Father, we love you today. We praise you and thank you for your Word. And Lord, we just ask you now in the name of Jesus to do a great and mighty work in this decision time. Not for my glory, not for Bethel's glory, not for this congregation's glory, but to glorify our Father in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand and let's sing. Jesus is tenderly calling, let's stand and let's sing.